First of all, I want to say thank you for the Lord saved my soul. Amen. I was asked this morning if I tell my testimony. I didn't live a good life. I had good mom and daddy. They taught me right from wrong. I wasn't raised up in church. But along the way, all the things I've done, bad, wrong, I do everything I could that was wrong. But when I got about 24, 25 years old, I started to make some changes in my life. I saw I was going the wrong direction. I quit this, I quit that. I tried to live a better life, but there was something missing in my life. I couldn't find out what it I didn't know what it was. I was looking, but I couldn't find it. And I worked at a place with some people that was Christian people. Amen. And we got talking about the Bible. I knew just enough of the Bible to say I knew something about the Bible, which was very little. But anyway, that's how it all got started in the process of me getting saved. I had a, a man one time, I, I loved to fish. I went to see this man one time about fishing. He's a Christian man. And I loved him like a brother. He was an older man. He talked to me all about the fishing and everything I wanted to know about it. And I said, well, I said, Brother Leroy, I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on home. He said, Richard, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, you're a good man, but he said, you need to get your life right with the Lord. Amen. And that got to me thinking about it. You know, getting things right with the Lord. Well, I had a brother-in-law and his wife. They come to play cards with us one night, play some rook. It was on Saturday night, and they invited us to come to church. And I told him, I said, no, nah, I'm not going to go. I said, I'm going fishing. But during the night, it come a big old storm. And I woke up early. I got up before daylight to go catch his fish. And I got up early that morning. I looked out, and it was dark, raining, mist and rain, just a dreary-looking morning. And I thought, I'm going to go. So I grabbed my stuff and throwed it in my truck, and I went to the river. I got that river, they something like stopped me and said, you don't need to be down here. And at that point in my life, I wasn't scared of nothing. I didn't even fear God. But I knew whatever it was telling me, I need to listen. So I turned around and I went back home. Well, I went back to bed, got up the next morning. Wife was getting ready to come to church with the kids. And she opened the bedroom door. I was laying in bed. She said, Richard, why don't you get up and go to church? I heard every word she said. 
I'm laying there in that bed. And I, no, I'm not going to church. I don't want no part of that. Well, she closed that door too. And I was laying in that bed and they something come over me and said, you get up out of this bed. You go to church. I come up out of that bed. I got grabbing some clothes, took a shower. I come through the house. I said, we need to go. Old devil's a liar. Don't ever let nobody tell you the devil won't talk to you because he'll talk to you, especially if you're not saved. He's going to tell you everything in the world, try to keep you from coming, getting your life right with him, with God. But anyway, the old devil rode me the whole way out ride. I didn't say three or four words the whole way over there at that church. The devil's telling me, you know, these people don't know you. They don't care about you. Well, made a liar out of the devil as soon as we got there because people in that church shook my hand, welcomed me, made me feel apart. Amen. Well, we got into Sunday school, and they was teaching Sunday school. And Sunday school is important. Yep. You need to come to Sunday school. And the Lord got a hold of me. Amen. And I mean, he had me tore all the pieces. I, I get tore up talking about it, but I can't help it. I'm just thankful he, he's safe. But he got to deal with me, and I was I was a hardcore sinner. I wouldn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to move. I wasn't going to move. So he dealt with me, and I I shook it off. And then we had a break between that and preaching. Come back in. Never met this preacher before in my life. He got up and he started preaching. And he started preaching. And the Lord got all over me. And I was told all the pieces. I gave an invitation. I wouldn't move. And he said, I know the Lord's dealing with people in here today. And he said, I don't usually do this. He said, the Lord told me to do this. We're going to sing one more verse of this song. Amen. And he said, if you only take the first step, the Lord will help you with the rest of it. And I walked out of that pew and I walked down here and I stopped in front of the altar up here. And to show you how little I was in church, I knew I needed to come. I didn't know what I needed to do. And the preacher walked out behind here. And he come down. He said, son, he said, how can I help you? I said, I don't want to die and go to hell. He said, I can't help you. But he said, I know somebody can. Yeah. He said, we get out here and we'll pray. And I got out. I had a bunch of people praying for me. But I had to pray my own prayer. And the book says, that you can truly know when you've been saved. Because God, when he touches you, it's like no other touch you've ever had. But the reason for me being up here and telling this is I, I was in the men's prayer time this morning. First time I'd been. I really, really enjoyed it. And I encourage every man in here, come to it. You'll be blessed by it. Take time. You got time for everything else. Take a little time to do this. Because I promise you, it'll bless you. But the thing is, it's what I told him when I was up there. 
one man, one man invited me to come to church and get my life right. So that's what we got to do. Brother John's been talking about it, you know, is one. You know, we, we do a lot of things, you know, spend a lot of time doing this, all the things we love to do, but we couldn't do none of them unless God lets us do it. So we better be a humble people and a thankful people because he can take our lives just like a breath. We can be gone. So we all need to think about it and appreciate what we got Appreciate the pastor's yeah. come here, what he stands on. I, I appreciate this man. Amen. I love this man. I ain't known him that long, but I love him. He preaches the truth, you know, and he's concerned about people's souls. Amen. You know, we need to be concerned about people's souls. I'm glad somebody was concerned about my soul. I remember being out all night long. People going to church, driving by, me still out, been drinking beer, all this stuff. And people going by, I wonder how many I prayed for him, that boy would get right. You know, I, I wish I knew, because I'd go thankful. I really would. Because I shouldn't be here. The Lord should have took me out a long time ago. Because I did a bunch of things I shouldn't have done. But he had mercy on my soul, and he saw something good in me that I didn't see in myself. But I'm thankful. But just remember... All of us, we need to do it in everyday walks of life. You know, people you work with, people you see. We come into contact with all kinds of people. You know, one little word might change somebody's life and get them to thinking about the Lord, how good he is. So that's, that's all I got. I love y'all. Thank y'all. Sometimes that's all it takes is one invitation, one word. Oftentimes we see one as insignificant, and that's actually what I want to talk to you. In fact, the sermon this morning is titled simply that, insignificant. When you think about the word insignificant, you think about its definition, and it simply means this, too small or unimportant to be worth consideration. Synonyms for this word are inconsequential, meager, unsubstantial, pointless, Worthless, irrelevant. I wonder if there's been a time in your life where you have felt that way, inconsequential, insignificant, unimportant. As if, as if you weren't even here, it wouldn't matter. Nobody would miss you. Well, the truth is, is God gave you that life for a reason. He finds significance in you. He loves you so much that he died on the cross for your sins. You are far from being insignificant. You know, it's interesting, when you think about the disciples, there was a core group, an inner circle, as they say. In fact, when you look at the grouping of the disciples, there's four that are always mentioned together, then there's four more, and then there's the final four that you hardly hear anything about. But that first four, you think about the inner circle of Jesus. There was Peter. Everybody knows who Peter is, right? Peter was basically the leader of the disciples. He's the one that preached at Pentecost. There's 3,000 people, one to the Lord. Peter kind of led not only the disciples, but pretty soon he led the early church. Peter was a man who often stuck his foot in his mouth. Uh, but he was one who was willing to take a stand. He was one that was willing to stand up for the truth and speak the truth. Peter was just a good, godly man who became well-known as the leader of the disciples. James and John, we know them. Those names are very significant to us. The sons of thunder, right? 
Uh, why were they called the sons of thunder? Because if people didn't want to listen to Jesus, they were ready to call down fire from heaven on them. I mean, but what's really interesting about it is you think about this. James was the first disciple to die for Jesus, and John was the last. James was the very first martyr. He was beheaded. John was the one who was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. So we know a lot about James and John, but let's get to that fourth guy, Andrew. I mean, if you know anything about Andrew. You see, Andrew's one of the forgotten disciples a lot of times. Do you know there's actually 12 verses that mention Andrew? But of those 12 verses, four of them are simply having his name listed in the list of the disciples. One is to talk about his hometown. One is to talk about his home city. Only four significant verses of Scripture really talk about Andrew. Now, this was a guy who was in the inner circle, one who followed with Jesus. A lot of people would look at him and say, well, you know, he's just inconsequential. He's insignificant. He's not that important a person. But I want you to understand that Andrew, even though some would look at him as being insignificant, he did some significant things that mattered and made a difference in the world. I wonder if I asked you today if any of you knew who Beverly Scott is. I guarantee you nobody in here knows who Beverly Scott is. Not a single one of you. Young lady from North Carolina. He said, well, who is she, Brother John? She's the young lady that invited me to church. She's the young lady. I was going to church at the time, but I wasn't growing. I wasn't learning. I just, nothing was going on in my life. I simply went to church because my parents were making me go to church. She was a part of a youth group called Gate City Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. And she said, hey, I want you to, I want you to come to church with me. We're doing this exact same program, and we need somebody to play the DJ, and I'd like you to come and play the DJ. I was like, well, sure, I guess I'll give it a shot. I'll, I'll come out there. So I came to the church, and sure enough, that was the one part they didn't have filled. It was the one part that I did for the association. Now, here's the thing. I was a part of a Christian group, part of a Christian drama, but I wasn't a Christian. And she invited me. She said, won't you just come on? That one invitation led to me going to a church where I saw a difference in people's lives, in particular those youth, were living relationships with Jesus Christ. And I wanted to know, why are you doing this? Why do you love to worship? Why do you love to go to church? Why do you love to read the Bible? Why do you love to pray? I just go to church because my parents make me. These guys weren't made to go to church. They were at church more than their parents. And I said, man, they've got something I want. And it all started with a single invitation. You see, you never know what you can do, what significance that you can make by something so simple as an invitation. We were challenged when I was first in ministry, and it was something I took up, and it was when I would go to restaurants. Whenever the waiter or waitress would bring us our food, they would always ask the same question. Is there anything else we can do for you? And I said, yes. We're getting ready to pray. How can I pray for you? Now, I did this when my wife and I were real early. We were married, and we went to a restaurant called Grady's. And Grady's was one of our favorite restaurants. It's no longer in existence today. But we went into Grady's. And while we were there, this young man comes up to us. And he gives us a prayer request. And we pray for him. And about two weeks later, we go back to Grady's. And this waiter comes up. He's our waiter again. And he said, man, I just want you to know that what you prayed for, it happened. He said, I'm so excited. He said, I've told everybody. He said, let me tell you something else you can pray for me about. I was like, all right. You just never know something. But what's really cool is a couple of weeks later, we went back and he wasn't our waiter. 
But he comes over to our table while our waitress is there, and he goes, get this dude to pray for you, because what he prays happens. I mean, he was telling everybody in Grady's. He started going to church, got saved, told us all about it. We were so excited. You never know what little insignificant thing you do can have an impact on an individual life. Well, this morning, we're going to talk about three lessons about the value of the insignificant. If you'll look with me in John chapter 1, we're going to be looking at the life of Andrew. In John chapter 1, we're going to see that Andrew saw the value of individual people. John 1, beginning in verse 40. says, One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Now this is unique. You think about it. Who is Andrew? Andrew is a follower of John the Baptist at the time. Andrew is there on the seashore with John the Baptist when all of a sudden Jesus Christ passes by. As Jesus passes by, John the Baptist looks out and he sees Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At that point, Andrew leaves John the Baptist and he and another of the disciples of Jesus begin to follow Jesus. They begin to follow him and they ask him. Jesus turns around and he asks him, what are you guys looking for? And he said, well, we, we want to know where you're staying. And Jesus simply said, come and see. Come and see. So that's exactly what they did. They went and saw. But as soon as Andrew saw where Jesus was, you know what he does? He leaves that place because he's not satisfied with being the only one to be there with Jesus. He knows there's somebody that God has laid on his heart. Somebody that is very important to him. And it is his brother Peter. He wants more than anything for Peter to know Jesus. So he goes and he finds him. He says, we found the guy we've been looking for. You see, Andrew's known as an inviter. Andrew was known as an inviter. In fact, every time you see Andrew, the significant scriptures are about him bringing somebody to Jesus. So not only was he an inviter, not only was he an introducer, but Andrew was a bringer. Because you look at verse 42, it says, and he brought him to Jesus. You see, that's exactly what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to be inviters. To invite people to be a part. Not only invite them, but then bring them. Here's the thing. You'll have people that will make every excuse in the book not to go to church. Let's just be honest. It's easy to You could have made an excuse this morning. I bet you some of you were even trying to come up with some this morning. <coughs> I think I'm sick. Right? Or, man, it's been a really long week. I need to sleep a little longer this morning. You know, we come up with all kinds of excuses. In fact, you'll find people say, well, I don't have a ride. Here's what I tell them. That's cool. I'll come pick you up. You and I can both ride in the clown car and get to church. It's all good. We'll be popping out of there. How many we got to carry? I don't care. We'll just come along. Just bring them. Come on. That's what God is calling us to do. Andrew didn't say, hey, Peter, guess what? He's down the street. Take a right by Farmer Brown's hay bale and then take a left by the old statue. He didn't give him directions. He brought him to Jesus. He said, let's go together. Sometimes that's what people want when it comes to invitation. If you invite somebody to church, the best thing you can do is say, hey, man, I want you to come to church. If they say, well, I'm thinking about it, you say, okay, well, here's what I'll do. I will meet you at the door. 
I'm not going to let you walk in there by yourself. I will meet you at the door. I want you to see a friendly face the moment you come into church. I will meet you at the door. I'll sit with you. I'll even take you to lunch. I'll do whatever it takes, but I want you to come with me. Andrew was a bringer, and that's what we're called to do. He found somebody that meant so much to him. He went out, and he found him, and he brought him. And that's what we're called to do. That's why we've been asking you, who's your one? Who is it that God is laying heavy on your heart that you just can't get beyond? Who is it that God is saying to you, you can make a difference in their life? I ask you guys to bring little cards down here and set them in these boxes. These boxes are still up here. They'll be up here through the month of January. I hope they keep getting filled up. I think there's 174 people I'm praying for right now. Let me tell you something. I hope it doubles, triples, and quadruples. We all need to have our one. We all need to have that person we're praying for. That person that God is laying heavy on our heart. We never know. A lot of people say, you know, you just never know who's going to be the next Billy Graham. Have you ever heard that? People make that statement. Well, you never know. How do you know that God won't give you the opportunity to lead the next Billy Graham to Jesus? Some people, you may say, oh, well, that person's insignificant. Well, can I tell you something? That's exactly what they thought of Billy Graham. He was insignificant. How about D.L. Moody? Who's going to be the next D.L. Moody? I'm going to tell you what, that's a man that changed the world. But most people don't know who Edward Kimball is, do you? You've probably never heard that name before. Edward Kimball was simply a Sunday school teacher. But he was a Sunday school teacher that led D.L. Moody to the Lord. Edward went into a Boston shoe store to tell little 18-year-old D.L. Moody about Jesus Christ. He says this about his story. Kimball was anything but bold. He was timid, soft-spoken man. He went to that shoe store frightened, trembling, and unaware of whether he had the courage to confront this young man with the gospel. Moody, on the other hand, was crude and obviously illiterate. And Kimball trembled in his boots as he recalled the incident. Moody had begun to attend his Sunday school class. Moody was totally untaught and ignorant about the Bible. Kimball said, I decided to speak to Moody about Christ and about his soul. I started downtown to Holton's shoe store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go just then during business hours. And I thought maybe my mission might embarrass the boy, that when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was, and when they learned, might taunt Moody and ask if I was trying to make him a good boy. While I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. Then, when I found I had gone by the door, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. Kimball found Moody in the stockroom and spoke to him with limping words. Later he said, I never could remember what I said. Something about Christ and his love, and that was all. He admitted it was in a weak appeal, but Moody then and there gave his heart to Christ. Tens of thousands have testified that they came to Christ under Moody's ministry. Moody led C.T. Studd, the great pioneer missionary, and William Chapman himself became well-known evangelist to Christ. Moody founded the Moody Bible Institute that has trained thousands for ministry. It all began when one was faithful to introduce another to Christ. Who is Edward Kimball? Just somebody who led D.L. Moody to the Lord. Here's the thing. You can attribute the fruit of D.L. Moody's ministry to a man who introduced him to Christ. You see, that's the thing. You never know the significance you'll make in somebody's life. You never know what they're going to become. You know what's funny? Charles Spurgeon is known as the preacher of preachers. Charles Spurgeon was one of the greatest preachers ever to exist. The man was an expositional preacher who loved the Word of God and taught the church in such a powerful and amazing way. Most 
preachers have some of his commentaries in their offices. That's how important Charles Spurgeon is. But many don't know how Charles Spurgeon came to the Lord. In fact, the day that Charles Spurgeon came to know the Lord, it was snowing. And it was snowing hard. Snowing so bad, the preacher couldn't get to church. And because the preacher couldn't get to church, he called one of his laymen and asked him to preach that morning. You know what the layman did? He simply got up in the pulpit. He read from the Bible and he said these words, Look unto Jesus and be all ye saved, all you nations. And then he pointed at Spurgeon. He said, young man, be saved. And he was saved. Simple sermon, right? Look unto Jesus, and all ye be saved, all ye nations. Then he points to the guy and goes, be saved. Be saved. And Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of preachers, came to the altar and gave his life to the Lord. All because a man just simply pointed at him and said, be saved. Be saved. Be saved. You see, that's the amazing thing. You never know. Some people would look at that. I bet you if I called one of you up and said, hey, brother, I can't make it to church this morning. Will you preach? How many of you would go, nope, not happening. But you see, the Lord had ordained for that pastor not to make it that morning. And the Lord had ordained for that layman to be there that morning. And the Lord had ordained for him to simply point out in the crowd and say, be saved, be saved, be saved, be saved, be saved. And my goodness, the world was changed because of a simple message. You see, what we may call insignificant, and to God it's not insignificant. He can use the small to do so many great things. So we see that Andrew saw the value of individual people. Number two, Andrew saw the value of insignificant gifts. Look at John 6, verses 8 and 9. Just to give you a little context of this story, this is Jesus feeding 5,000 men. All right, 5,000 men, which means what? There's probably about 5,000 women and about 10,000 kids. I know most people guesstimate he probably fed about 20,000 people with this meal. We don't know. All that was counted at this time was men. So let's just say 5,000. That's a pretty significant number, right? But he comes to it and he wants to tell his disciples, he says, all right, it's time for us to feed them. And when you come to verse 7, Philip says this. Philip answered, said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. In other words, 200 days wages, which was a lot of money back then. 200 denarii. That much amount could barely give all of them a taste of food. He told him that. He said, we don't have a chance of feeding all these people. In other words, nobody, it seemed like nobody had any idea what they needed to do. But, look at verse 8. One of his disciples Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. I wish that's where it ended, but he does say this. But what are they among so many? But here's the thing. At least Andrew tried to be a part of the solution. You ever know those people that just complain about everything? And you ask them and you say, Okay, you got a complaint. What's your solution? Well, I don't know. You need to figure it out. Well, I don't know. You just need to stop complaining. If you don't have a solution, don't complain. Right? I mean, here's the thing. Andrew goes, hey, I got a solution. I got an idea. It ain't much. But let me tell you something. Little is much in the hands of God. 
Little is much in the hands of God. You may say to yourself, I don't have much to give to the Lord. That's okay. God will take what little you have and he'll do great things with it. You don't have to have a whole lot. You don't have to do Here's the thing. Before Charles Spurgeon got saved, nobody knew who he was. Charles Spurgeon was not a great preacher. Before he got saved, he was lost. He was a nobody. D.L. Moody, the same thing. He was just a stock boy. You see, that's the thing. They become great in the hands of God. Little is much in the hands of God when you're willing to give him whatever you got. When you're willing to say, God, whatever I have, what little I have, it's all yours. It's not an insignificant gift in the hands of God. You know, I know that not only was Andrew feeling that way because Jesus felt the same way. Because in Luke 21, Jesus tells this story. And he looked up and saw the rich man casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in her two mites. And he said, of a truth I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast under their offerings of God, but she of her livelihood hath cast in all the living that she had. Two mites. Now, let's just make that an equivalent today of about a penny. Now, how many of you would put a penny in the offering plate and think, well, that's real significant. But here's the truth of the matter. In the hands of God, every gift can be significant. In fact, Jesus sees this woman, and you know what he says? He says, she's given more than everybody else. Now, understand, those other men were throwing in gold and silver and probably precious gems. They were throwing in things that looked like they were great. But here's the truth of the matter. They may have gave 10%, but according to the story, this woman gave 100%. She had nothing left to go home to. Those guys that had given great riches still had homes to go home to. They still had food in their cupboards. They still had money at their homes. This woman gave her last pennies to the Lord. She said, you know what? I've got nothing to go home to. But God, you can do more with my two cents than I can. And the truth is, every small gift, and it's not about money. Here's the truth of the matter. Your small invitation can make a difference. Your small gospel presentation can make a difference. Your small telling of your story can make a difference. Everything you do for the glory of God has significance. It's not insignificant. You say, well, brother, I don't, I don't have an amazing story. I don't, I don't have a story of how God brought me from drugs or God brought me from alcohol. And let's just be honest. Sometimes we hear somebody tell that story and we go, man, I wish I had that story. Can I tell you something? I'm glad I don't have that story. Now, that's not to put those men down that have that story. Praise God for them because God can deliver from the greatest, greatest of problems. But here's the truth. My story is just as important as theirs. Because God saving me doesn't mean that he saved them out of more sin because I'm just as sinful as they are. It's the simple fact that God saved me. My story has just as much significance as theirs. Your story has just as much significance as mine. Your gift has just as much significance as mine. Your invitation has just as much significance as mine. You see, that's the problem. Oftentimes we think, well, man... Uh, you, you find out somebody's lost and you'll call me up and you'll say, hey, brother, why don't you go see so-and-so? I want you to tell them about Jesus. Well, I'll be happy to, but have you told them first? I don't mind going and telling them, but God has put them on your heart and God has given you a story. You say, well, brother, I, I just think I'll do a bad job. Can I tell you something? You will not do a bad job. 
God will use you better than you ever thought you could be used. I promise you. God will use you. You ready for this? He will use you more than he'll use me in that person's life. You say, what do you mean? Because he's put them on your heart, not mine. I'll go with you. But I'm just here to tell you, you better go first. Because God is going to use you. You're not insignificant. You are important. God put them on your heart for a reason. God wants you to use your gift, your invitation, your story, your gospel presentation. Can I tell you something? I have not always presented the gospel in the best manner. There have been times I have walked away after sharing the gospel going, I have no idea what I just said. There have been times where I have stammered and stuttered and probably misspoke and misquoted. There have probably been times. But here's the thing that I realize. God's word will never come back void. If I will do what he's called me to do, if I will understand that God will use me even in the little things that God will do something great in and through me. You see, you've got to understand your story, your message, your invitation, your gospel presentation is far from insignificant in the hands of God. Little is much in the hands of God. Finally, not only did he see the value in insignificant gifts, he saw the value, you ready for this, of all people. Look with me in John 12, beginning in verse 20. I like this story. John 12, beginning in verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. You say, well... Why is that an important story? Why does that seem significant? Well, there were, guess what? There were Gentiles that wanted to see Jesus. Now, you know what? You know what Philip and you know what Andrew could have said? They could have said, you know what? Jesus has already told us he's going into the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So I'm sorry, Greeks are not included in that. You know, this is an exclusive club full of exclusive people. And it's only those that God wants. God only wants the people of Israel. But I believe they remember the scripture in the book of Isaiah that said God had shown a light under the Gentiles. That the message would go beyond the people of Israel and go to all people all over the world. So you ready for this? God loves, you ready? All people. All people. Now I'm going to tell you, I know many of you are frightened and worried about what's going on in Iran. I know a lot of people have talked about, can I tell you what Iran needs? They need Jesus. They don't, need a, they don't need a missile. They don't need a bomb. They need Jesus. They need men and women of God who say, you know what? We don't care about their faith. We don't care about the way they live. We don't care that they're trying to bomb us. What we care is about their souls. They need Jesus. You see, that's the problem. We stay away from places like that. I got a friend of mine who's a missionary in Amman, Jordan. He's in the heart of terrorism. He's there in an underground church sharing the gospel with people. Why? Because he wants his people. That's right. He's Jordanian. He wants his people to know Jesus. He left the comfort of Brazil where he was not persecuted for his faith to go back to his people to tell them about Jesus. You see, we got to have a love for this. All people. All people. But I love this story because look at this. It says... Certain Greeks came to Philip. Why did they go to Philip? Because Philip is a Greek name. 
So they thought, well, if anybody can get us into Jesus, it'll be a Greek guy. But here's the problem. Philip was a Jew. He just had a Greek name. All right? So they went to him. they thinking, well, maybe he'll help us out. But look at what it says. It says, Philip was with Bethsaida of Galilee and desired him, saying, sir, we would see Jesus. Philip does what? Cometh and telleth Andrew. Who does he go find? He goes and finds the bringer. He goes and finds the inviter. He goes and finds the one that's already been known for bringing people to Jesus. And he goes, you know what? If anybody's going to help me out with this, it's going to be Andrew. Now, here's what I want you to understand from that. You may be inviting your one. You may be praying for your one. And you should be. But here's the thing. Don't be afraid to elicit other help to pray for your one, to help you in inviting your one, to help you go out there and bring them in. Don't be afraid of that. Philip knew that, guess what? I need a little extra help, and that's what we need sometimes. Guess, that's why God put us together. You know why God brought you to this church? To use the brothers and sisters that we have in here together to reach our community for Christ. That's why I tell you, I want to pray for your one. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God will move in a mighty way. Philip goes and he finds Andrew and it says, and Anna, get this, and Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. In other words, Andrew didn't go, I got this, Philip. What Andrew said is, let's go, Philip. So here's the thing. If you come and talk to me and you say, hey, brother, I want you to go talk to so-and-so. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I'll go talk to so-and-so, but let's go. Let's go together. Because God has put them on your heart. You see, that's the thing. We have got to be willing to be those inviters. We've got to be willing to be those bringers. We've got to be willing to be Andrews. You see, he wasn't insignificant. And I want you to understand this morning, you aren't either. You're not insignificant. Your story is not insignificant. Now, here's the thing. If you were to tell me this morning, you say, well, brother, I don't don't have a story. Well, then come this morning and we'll give you one. Don't wait. Like they said, guy said to Charles Spurgeon, be saved. Don't wait. Be saved. Don't waste any more time. Get your story today. Make it right today. You see, we need to be Andrews. We need to be bringers. We need to be inviters. We need to be introducing people to Christ. But we've got to have a love for them. We've got to care enough for them to do those things. Some people would say that Andrew had an insignificant death. I would declare a little bit different. Tradition has it that Andrew took the gospel north into Russia, possibly Scotland. He was ultimately crucified at Nakia, which is in the southern Greece near Athens. One account says he led a wife of a provincial Roman governor to Christ and that it infuriated her husband. He demanded that his wife recant her devotion to Jesus Christ and she refused. So the governor had Andrew crucified. He was lashed to the cross instead of nailed in order to prolong his suffering. Tradition says it was an X-shaped cross. Most accounts say he hung on the cross for two days, exhorting passerbys to turn to Christ for salvation. With his very last breath, he was still inviting. With his very last breath, he was still bringing people to Jesus. What's your story? I guess also not only what is your story for coming to Christ, but what is going to be your story when you get to heaven? When you stand before God, some people have made this statement. I, you know, you don't see it in Scripture, but I wonder. Some people say, well, we'll have our whole life played back for us. 
Will your story be a significant one that actually you did something for the cause of Christ? Will they be able to say that even with their final breath, they were telling people about Jesus? Can you name one significant thing you've done for Jesus? Or is God calling you to do something significant now? You see, that's the question you have to ask yourself. What's your story? What will your story be one day? Will it be worth telling? Edward Kimball's story is worth telling, even though nobody knows who he is. But he made a difference, a significant difference. And we can say that the fruit of D.L. Moody can also be attributed to the fruit of Edward Kimball. Any fruit that happens in my life can always go back to attributed to Beverly Scott, who gave me a simple invitation. You see people come to know the Lord, and you're a part of that. There's nothing more exciting than that God used you to do something great. Don't ever see your story as being insignificant. Don't ever see your invitation as being insignificant. And don't ever think that the gospel message that God has given to you is insignificant. If you will see that, you will change the world. You will change your community. And as we invest in our one this year, Boy, we will see God do great things here at Hillcrest.